Well, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ray Geick. I'm the past president for the California Fire Chiefs Association. Here we are again in uh, doing a podcast. And we have uh, some some guests that are normally the, the host, but I'm going to play host today. And uh, we're going to have uh, Chief Tubbs um, from South Marin. And we're also going to have uh, Chief Mark Hine uh, from Sonoma County Fire District. And we're going to talk today about an uh, interesting topic of consolidation. And uh, it's interesting for me, number one, because I've never done any consolidation before. I know it happens all the time in the California Fire Service, but these gentlemen have uh, a lot of experience in, in this field. So we thought we'd have an interesting conversation about that today. So, uh, Chris, uh, welcome to the podcast that you are the host of <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, I'd like to, if, if we can, just start off by um walking through some of the consolidations both of you have done and your experience and then we'll we'll kind of uh we'll kind of go from there so chief tubbs you mind starting us off and giving us a quick introduction of kind of what you've done in your consolidation work and so on and so forth thanks ray uh this is a little weird sitting on this side of the interview um so yeah the southern marine fire district uh began i guess it's kind of a uh, consolidation efforts, jumping into the pond, really all the way back to about 2000. And uh, I'm, I'm going to say about 2004, when they started into a JPA, a shared services agreement with the city of Sausalito. Ultimately, that led to an annexation, uh, which is a form of consolidation. So the district annexed the city's fire and EMS services. And with, with annexation comes a shift in property tax and then a shift in the expenditures and revenues. In uh, 2014, only a couple years later, we entered into a shared battalion chief agreement with the city of Mill Valley. And we worked through some issues with that. And then in 2020, into a more formal shared services agreement that combined the admin and prevention teams along with the command structure. And then most recently, in December 8th of this year, our Marin County LAFCO approved us annexing the city of Mill Valley's fire and EMS services as well. So the Southern Marin Fire District's um, experience in consolidation is only in the lane of annexation. Uh, and you'll hear from Mark uh, where he has a little different experience, uh, which we'll get into uh, dissolutions. And, uh, but those, those things are kind of interesting um, nuances and how it will affect agencies if they consider consolidation. So uh, back to you. All right. Well, thanks for that. Um, just before we move on to, to Chief Hine, is this uh, is this the first experience you've had with consolidation of fire departments or have you done it before? I know you came from Washington and so on and so forth. Was that something you had some experience in Washington and doing as well or no? No. So in, in Washington, not, not direct. Um, obviously, a lot of my my partner chiefs up there did. Washington state law is very different. They do not have LAFCOs. They do have what's called regional fire authorities, which um, uh, require that you have a contiguous border with an agency that you wish to consolidate with. Uh, but but the process is much different. But where I came from, no, we had a very defined boundary and uh, we weren't uh, in in the sort of lane of looking at consolidating at that time. Got it. 
Well, Chief Hine, I know you've had some uh, experience in this as well, and and you mind walking us through your experiences and kind of and Chris had mentioned some differences there in your consolidation efforts. So, you know, maybe you can get into that a little bit more and just kind of uh, let us know how those consolidations. I I know they're complete, but I know those are fairly recent consolidations too, though. Yeah, I'd be happy to, Ray. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, happy to be part of the podcast this time. Uh, consolidation for the formation of the Sonoma County Fire District actually took place in 2019. And I know we're going to talk about motivating factors for consolidation in a little bit here, but really our original consolidation that brought four independent fire districts together to form the Sonoma County Fire District was born out of the 2017 wildfires that did so much damage across uh, the infrastructure of Sonoma County. And when that occurs, of course, for a fire district, it impacts your budget because about 90% of the revenue of a fire district comes from property tax. So uh, we originally brought four independent fire districts together. um, And since that time, we've added three additional independent fire districts uh, to what is now currently the Sonoma County Fire District. And the word consolidation, I think, is used a little loosely out there by, by all of us. There are different types of consolidation activities. Uh, President Tubbs uh, alluded to annexation, and we have used the annexation tool as well. But what's a little bit different in our case, uh, as opposed to perhaps President Tubbs' case, is that when he annexed the fire services from the city of Mill Valley, the city did not go away. Um, In our case, when we annexed each of our seven predecessor fire districts, those districts were dissolved in their entirety by LAFCO as part of that process. So sometimes we get hung up a little bit on terminology and the word dissolved is pretty scary for a lot of folks out there. And the word annexation is also a little scary out there. And um, for us, it's been very successful. And I know we'll talk a little bit later in the podcast about what good desired outcomes are for consolidation. But as we sit here today, we're the formation of seven independent fire districts that now serve about 400 square miles of Sonoma County. Got it. So, so in essence, there is, uh, seven different smaller fire districts that all had the same uh, goals. And then essentially those were consolidated into a larger uh, fire district. And then in essence, those smaller districts were dissolved by LAFCO. That- that's absolutely correct. Yeah, that's correct. correct. Um, so next we're going to, co- and uh, Chief Hine talked a little bit about motivation um, from you know, jurisdictions or cities um, of, of doing consolidation. And, you know, they can be motivated from financial purposes, you know, duplication of efforts and services, um, maybe even geographical or uh, possibly even push from a community or elected boards. Um, from both of your experiences, what's what was some of the motivating factors behind both of your uh, consolidations? So yeah, I think, Chris, if you don't mind, I, I can start a little bit on that because I think both of our versions may be a little bit different to this mm-hmm. uh, question. But, yeah, so I think our story in Sonoma County may be a little different than Chris's story of uh, dealing with the annexation of a, a city to a fire district and its fire and EMS services. But in Sonoma County, it was primarily driven out of our experiences and the results of the devastating wildfires that we experienced in 2017 and 2019. They destroyed a lot of fire district territory across our county, and as a result, um, destroys a lot of the budget revenue that a special district derives. 
Um, I, I've been a firm believer, having gone through the consolidation process a few times now, that there must be a strong motivating factor. It can be financially driven, as it was in, in our original case. Um, and later on, in adding additional fire districts, it was driven not as much financially, but out of a desire to uh, obtain some of the services that we could provide as a larger agency, particularly in the form of uh, advanced life support first responder services and ALS transport services that smaller districts didn't have the capabilities of doing. So I think for the Sonoma County story, it really bottles down to two primary motivating factors. One is financial status and revenue stream. And the second is the desire to see improved services in the communities that were going to be um, consolidated with and annexed. Yeah, and in the in the case of Southern Marin, the two annexations we've experienced actually had very entirely different motivations uh, for consolidation. So if I start with the city of Sausalito, um, as they were working down this path, again, initially through a JPA, really what was the catalyst for the JPA and ultimately annexation was financial um, at the time the fire department comprised 55% of the property tax collected by the city of Sausalito. Now their uh, percentage of the general fund from property tax is different than um, some of the other neighboring communities. And I'll get into that in a second, but it was still a substantial amount from their property tax revenue stream. And uh, an analysis was done on fire protection services for the city of Sausalito, which determined that in addition to the 55%, at least that was being funded through the property tax, which at that time was about $2.6 million per year, they were grossly understaffed and they didn't have really, um, I would say, good equipment uh, replacement plans. So they were looking at either... Um, adding um, significant additional revenues to sustain the city fire department or looking at some sort of a uh, uh, consolidation, which is ultimately what they chose. And this was highly controversial, as a matter of fact, and we'll get into talking about LAFCO rules later. Uh, the protest for this was high enough. Uh, it exceeded the, the 25% threshold that requires that to go to a public vote. And it did. Uh, it did end up passing. Um, but that was the motivation for Sausalito. Now, Mill Valley was very, very different. So Mill Valley has a long history, is very, very stable community, very, very stable revenues. As a matter of fact, the fire department and the general fund revenues and the property tax revenues have been pretty stable and consistent for well over 20 years. So we have a 20 year history that shows the fire department is roughly 27% of their general fund, um, and the property tax increases have covered the impacts to the annual fire department budget. So that was not the motivation for them. It really was around this duplication of services and inefficiency. So Mill Valley is a two-station department, and at the time, they had three battalion chiefs and we had three battalion chiefs. And when both agencies had a vacancy, the chiefs at that time, uh, Jeff Davidson and uh, Jim Irving, uh, initiated discussions that said, hey, before we each go hire another battalion chief, could we could we pool our group together? Because from a geographic standpoint, we don't need six battalion chiefs. We need one battalion chief on duty. And if we 
uh, go to the number four, we could actually also gain a, a full-time training BC out of that. So that became the catalyst for looking at shared services. And then ultimately, when we did the analysis for considering uh, annexation, um, there would there was a value in performance outcomes that we demonstrated, especially in our prevention division, that benefited the city of Mill Valley with no additional funds. It was, and we use, like to use the analogy, we simply took the pieces on the chessboard and rearranged them a little bit, no added costs, but we got a more efficient model. So the motivating factor for Mill Valley was not financial. It really was around duplication of services. But the last thing that I would add is, and it's a point that uh, Mark alluded to, is that um, LAFCO, by its um, mission, um, supports, endorses, encourages consolidations. So there is always this underlying current or theme, at least out of LAFCO, that, hey, agencies where there's an opportunity to consolidate you should look to do that so that was a that was kind of again lower temperature but it was definitely uh a consideration and a theme in both of our consolidations so it's it's interesting that you know consolidation can happen and for a lot of different reasons and it's probably quite different um depending on you know you know where you are in the state and you know down both of you gentlemen are, are up north. I'm down south, and you know I've 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 heard a lot of our fire chiefs, uh, you know, down south that have gone through consolidations, and and everyone's got a little different story, you know, of of why they're doing the consolidation. Um, you know, is it being pushed by the community or or elected officials, and and so on and so forth. So it's always interesting to to get into the details a little bit of kind of why you know it, it happened and and whatnot. But with that being said, we we always know in these types of things, there's always key stakeholders that are going to, you know, kind of have a touch point in these consolidations. And I uh, wanted to touch a little bit on that and in and kind of uh, chat about that just for a second on what are some of the key stakeholders when you're looking at doing some sort of a consolidation that who needs to be at the table? Um, during these things and kind of why why is it important that these people are at the at the table and I would imagine that you want to have these people in in at the beginning rather than you know kind of having a set product and then have them uh, come in at you know in the middle or at the end so uh, you know Chris why don't we start off with you and then we'll and then we'll uh, ask Chief Hine um, to jump in and and talk about his his uh, sure. his thoughts on it. Yeah, well, the, one of the most obvious, of course, is is labor. Is you've got to have labor at the table. They've got to be um, a active stakeholder. Uh, there has to be a value uh, or a benefit um, associated uh, for them to be um, a positive force uh, in that process. Um, clearly, having elected officials, and that's not just in your local agency, like you know your board or your council in the neighboring one, but it can extend beyond that as well. So you can have influences outside of your jurisdictional area. So in the case of Marin County, you know we have um, the Marin County Board of Supervisors, and each of the supervisors is a, is a responsible for a geographic area. So in my case, I have two county board supervisors that uh, sort of cover my area. Having them involved is very, very important um, as well. 
And and then of course the the community, right? We have to have the community involved. At the end of the day, this is their fire department. It's not ours. We're stewards, and there has to be a clear, you know, value or purpose as to why you're proposing doing this. The last person that we uh, that I would say was a value for us, and we involved um, right from the beginning of the analysis, which was like a two year period. Well, the shared services was eight ultimately leading to the annexation. But the last two years have been the focus of the analysis is we brought our LAFCO director in from the very, very beginning, um, knowing that ultimately uh, our LAFCO, your LAFCO director has to review your application and has to be able to make some form of a recommendation to the LAFCO commission on it. So for us, having our LAFCO director in at the, the beginning, looking underneath the hood, involved in the discussions it gave him confidence in the depth of our analysis, the quality of our analysis, and then ultimately the recommendations that we forwarded. And then, of course, uh, you know, your, your civic group. So not just your community, but you're going to have a variety of civic groups like your Rotary Club, your Kiwanis Club, your Chamber of Commerce. They can be uh, allies uh, as well. How about yourself, Mark? Is there anyone else in there that you think you can think that you would want to have? Uh, from your perspective up front as a key holder? Yeah, I think Chris did a good job outlining stakeholders. I, I want to touch on or maybe just expand on a couple of them. And I'll start with labor. Uh, I think uh, Chris is absolutely right. Labor needs to be an integral partner in this process. Um, in each of our consolidations, we, you know, day one, we actually spent doing a SWOT analysis on what consolidation would look like. So we did a SWOT analysis on our organization and a separate SWOT analysis on the annex, the other agency where you're looking at annexing, and then did a third SWOT analysis on what would that look like if we were together as one. And uh, that helped drive which stakeholders needed to be in pro- involved in the process. Uh, but labor is really critical. And, you know, as fire chief, we kind of determined to a large extent what our relationship with labor is going to be. There are those of us that believe uh, of inclusion with labor and everything we do from staff meetings to large scale initiatives. And there are others that don't necessarily have that relationship, but whatever your relationship is with your labor group or labor groups, it's imperative to bring them to the table early. Um, and, and then the last piece I'll just touch on and expand on is LAFCO. Most of us as fire chiefs uh, go through our careers with little, if any, exposure to LAFCO. And it's really critical that we learn what LAFCO is, what their responsibilities are. They have very strong statutory authority defined by the Cortese-Hersberg-Knox Act. And it's really important that as a fire chief, you get to know your LAFCO director and your LAFCO commissioners as much effort into those relationships as you would put into either your city council relationships or your board of directors relationships or your relationship with county board of supervisors if you have that as well. So I think Chris had all the key stakeholders there for the most part. Uh, each individual community will have to assess its own additional stakeholders. Perhaps your rotary is a mover and shaker in the business community. Perhaps you have a strong community um, based uh, out of school and educational tracks and school boards and things like that. You have to really kind of build that SWOT analysis and look where the opportunities are, and that will help drive what additional stakeholders should be involved. We've touched on LAFCO uh, quite a bit, um, and I think it makes some really good points. I've I've talked to um, it's it's really interesting. The fire service, some fire chiefs uh, like you two gentlemen have had experience with LAFCO. Um, 
talk to someone like me who has been a city fire department pretty much my entire career, which we've never consolidated. We've never looked at, you know, those types of things. Um, I've really never dealt with LAFCO. Can, can you expand a little bit more? Number one, what is LAFCO? What, what is their responsibilities? And, you know, how do they play into this whole thing of consolidation? Yeah, so, you know, LAFCO, again, is defined by the cortese hersberg Knox Act. And so um, you can Google that and learn a little bit about where LAFCO comes from and how they're formed. The seats on each LAFCO commission are relatively the same across the state in that they're designated to a city seat and a special district seat and at-large seats and, and kind of backup seats um, as well. But LAFCO's primary mission is to ensure that the public services being provided are cost-effective, efficient, um, and if there is a better efficiency or cost-effectiveness to the provision of those services, they are to champion that. And so that is really where LAFCO's role in consolidation comes in. And if you talk to most LAFCOs, they do quite a bit of consolidation work, but primarily in the uh, water special districts world and perhaps a few other city services. But I think one of the assumptions that can errantly be made is that your LAFCO director or your LAFCO commissioners, more importantly, have fire service consolidation experience. Like it's important to meet, as Chris did, to be very inclusive with your LAFCO director very early on so that if the two of you identified some weaknesses and and some education that can be given to the commissioners so they can make good informed decisions, um, you have the chance to do that proactively. Chris, do you have anything to add on that or any thoughts? No, on? no I think Mark covered that really, really well, but I, I, I would like to just touch on one more thing with regards to the stakeholders. And this isn't so much stakeholders, but it is about the importance of not only relationships but even the messaging piece. And, and I suspect that Mark has had kind of a similar experience. But when we started down the path on shared services, uh, we developed a small mission statement that really became kind of our driver for looking at shared services, next steps. But the next thing that we did is we put a lot of energy into branding. Um, and so as you guys can see on my logo here and people have been on meetings, it's just better together, right? We have both of our agencies, things there. We've put it on our emails. We put it on our documents. It had a very fascinating effect to me. And at first I didn't appreciate it. I didn't appreciate it when we initiated it, but at the end I did. And that was, it sent a very subtle, but very clear message to the community. And ultimately what happened was when we went before our council and board in a public meeting, um, even prior to that, when we had been out in the community talking about, hey, we're taking the next step, we're not dating anymore, we're going to get married, the response we got from the community was, I, I, th I thought you already were. And so as a result of that, when we had our public meeting with our council and our board and ultimately in front of LAFCO, we had nobody opposed. Everyone was like, well, yeah, this makes sense. We just thought you were doing it already. And so I think in addition to the relationships that you build, I think there is value in having clarity in regards to what your your purpose or your mission is and using that as a communication tool, but developing a very clear and specific brand that, again, can sort of penetrate everything that you say and you do with a consistency that creates almost an expectation, which was what our experience was. 
Yeah, and I think the fire service, you know, traditionally does not spend a lot of time, energy, and money in marketing and branding, right? But if you really compare us to the general public and the private sector out there, who else runs a multi-million dollar corporation every year that doesn't invest in branding and marketing of who you are and what you do? So I think it's brilliant to come up with branding such as Southern Marin did in their consolidation efforts, because again, the outcome of that is, well, I thought you already were consolidated. You know, one thing that we did, which I think was a little unique in Sonoma, is the four agencies that came together to originally form us. We brought every member of all four of those agencies together one night. We rented out a ballroom at a local hotel. We fed them all because that's certainly the, the key to the heart of firefighters. And, and we let them develop the guiding principles for their new organization. The board had set the vision. I'd certainly helped with crafting the mission. But as far as who they wanted to be and how they wanted their organization to be, I felt very strongly that should come from the troops. So we gave them a little bit of education on how to write guiding principles. And then my second in commands and I left the room and we left them alone for a couple hours to write five guiding principles that to this day, they hold so close to their heart because they got to design them that we have to make little influence on the organization's direction because they're pretty good at policing that themselves. Well, it sounds like both of you have been through, um, and I, I've known you guys for a couple of years, obviously, and we've uh, we've had we've had some uh, some adult beverages over uh, discussing <laughs> consolidation and whatnot, as, and it's always been fascinating for me. Again, from someone just really not having that as as part of my career, and um, and I applaud both of you for really your leadership on on how you've done these things, because quite frankly, I've heard of other uh, consolidations that haven't you know, worked out and, and so on and so forth. And there might be other people out there that are considering this and it'd be great to kind of walk through a little bit of uh, managing uh, this really complex type of project. And some of the things that if you were to sit back and, and, and both of you look at how, how would I do this? What did I learn from what we did? And then kind of give a little bit of an outline to someone um, to, to have a successful outcome as both of you have. And uh, Chris, why don't we start off with you a little bit of, of kind of uh, the, a bit of the outline and then we'll have um, uh, Mark jump in and and, uh, and add some flavor to it as well if he doesn't have anything else he can add on that. Yeah, thanks, Ray. So I, I uh, Mark and I have known each other for many, many years. Mark was originally the chief in Nevada, which is the northernmost you know city in Marin County. And uh, Mark, uh, when he went to Sonoma, as he's talked about, this was one of the things that was on his plate almost right away was this need for consolidation, you know, born out of the North Bay fires. And so when we stepped forward for the Mill Valley annexation, because I did not do the the Sausalito one, I certainly read all about it, you know, did all the research, talked to uh, the folks in my agency who were very involved in it. Uh, but I walked into the Mill Valley one without that experience. And so naturally I, I reached out to Mark and I said, Hey, you know, what, what lessons did you learn and what recommendations? And he confirmed one of the things that I had been leading towards, which, you know, as a firefighter, we're all this way, right? It's like, I need an IAP. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for a lot of different reasons. And what we found of value in that, first of all, was to be able to outline the entire project and process, and that then everybody, all the stakeholders can see that. There is a clarity 
of where you're at now and what you need to do to get to that outcome that you desire. It also provides us, of course, the ability to delegate responsibility. And um, as Mark said, you know, in, in his process where uh, they had their team sort of go out and develop these five guiding principles. This idea of ownership is really important because it comes back to the, to the stakeholder piece, right? As we got people at the table, why are they at the table? There's got to be a motivating reason. Well, having those people take on various aspects of the, that responsibility in your IAP is really, really important. Um, the LAFCO process itself, um, can be somewhat confusing. Mark and I, you know, sometimes, uh, chat about that, giggle about it and share frustration about it. Um, while there is some, uh, standardization by legislation, if you go to the LAFCO site of your county and you look for what I would say is like a checklist, in many cases, you won't find that. So again, this is why it's really important to develop the relationship with your executive officer for your LAFCO. But it is a, it is a complicated process. And, um, the, in short, what you have to do is you have to prepare an application that has required elements like, you know, specific boundaries of the area that's getting consolidated. There's an application form. There are application fees. Um, there's an analysis to Mark's point. You know, LAFCO's responsibility is ensuring that the taxpayers are the central part of any analysis, that there is not redundancy, that there are adequate uh, revenues being transferred as a result of the services that are being transferred. All of those kinds of elements are very, very important. But the one piece that's very interesting about this and some people aren't aware of is that there is the ability for the public through what's called the public protest period to come in and say, Hey, we, you know, you guys put this application together. It's thorough and complete. Yes, it makes sense. I disagree. And LAFCO, um, has a process that allows, uh, the public through sort of two lanes to file formal protests during a protest period. And if the, the number of those protests, uh, hits or exceeds 25% of the two various columns that they evaluate, that then has to go to a public vote, which again was Sausalito's experience. If it, if it exceeds 50%, the application can't go forward. It's, it's dissolved. You are done. You cannot look at that process. Um, and so that's kind of an important piece to sort of factor in too, as Mark and I have talked about the importance of stakeholders and relationships is your goal is to minimize any protest. And in the case of Sausalito, we had a protest that exceeded the 25%. Conversely, with Mill Valley, we were able to waive the protest period because no one showed up for our public meeting. We opened up the waiver period. There was no response to that. And I think in part because of the branding and the outreach that we did, I, at least that's what, what I think, as best as I can tell, was part of what contributed to the absence of public protest. So at that point, it becomes an administrative process for LAFCO ultimately culminating with what's called a certificate of completion. That is kind of your key to the door for consolidation. 
That paperwork then gets forwarded to the state, to what's called the State Board of Tax Equalization. And that board has specific authority about what types of revenues they evaluate. And what they're basically looking to do is in your analysis, you have proposed a certain tax transfer to support the consolidation and the state board of tax equalization reviews that, makes sure it conforms to the, the law and ultimately approves that. That then gets down, sent down to the county finance officer who now knows from that point forward, X percentage of property tax no longer gets sent to the previous community, now gets sent to you. And the way I would describe it is it's, it's almost as if that is the way it was from the beginning of time. So as an example, we've had some folks in Sausalito still aren't happy about the annexation and they want to undo it. Pro- problem is you, you can't unless you go to a big public vote of the whole district. But once that tax transfer has taken place, it's, it's permanent unless you have a formal vote to unwind it. But I'll let Mark add some more detail to the LAFCO process because I think he's had a lot more experience at it than I have. <laughs> no, I think you did a good job, Chris. Um, I, I will just touch briefly on the public protest period and share a couple differing observations. The phrase public protest is a pretty scary phrase, right? Uh, what do you mean the public gets the right to protest formally? And on the other side of that coin, and Chris nailed exactly how the process works with the thresholds that have to be achieved or not achieved, is the complaint from a citizen saying, wait, don't we get to have a vote on this? And the actual response is, no, actually, you don't under the LAFCO statutes. So the public protest, whether you file a protest or not as a citizen or a taxpayer in the affected jurisdiction, is your vote on the process. So if you file a protest, you have voted against the proposed uh, consolidation and vice versa. So if you don't file a protest, it is assumed by LAFCO and the commissioners that you are in support or at least neutral as to whether the two agencies are more consolidated or not. Um, you know, there, there's another piece of this, which is community outreach. And and I think what I'm going to share is perhaps perceived as a little controversial, uh, but I've come to really caution chiefs and agencies going through con- consolidation to think about this. So the question is this, before we get in the LAFCO process, do we go around and hold town hall meetings to take the pulse of the communities that we're talking to and the affected agencies about what they want to see in this or not? And my caution to you is if your elected officials, city council, fire district board, and or you as the CEO of the organization have already analyzed the motivating steps that are causing you to look at consolidation and believe firmly that this is the path to go, do you really want to go and hear from a community that says, well, we, we're happy with everything being separated? Are you still going to go forth with consolidation or will you change your mind based on what the public out- input is? So if the answer is yes, we would change our mind then I would say and propose that you go out and hold town hall meetings. If the answer in our case was this is financially motivated, and if we don't do this, individual fire districts will fail financially because of the damage to their tax base done through these devastating uh, wildfires, then the answer is no. Um, This is in the best interest of the the taxpayers. And the third component of that is, and again, perhaps a little controversial, but this is what your board of directors and your city council were elected to do. 
It was to look into the best interest of the taxpayers that the agency serves and do what you think is right, both for financial sustainability, but also for service enhancement or sustainability. So th th that's just a little bit of an odd piece about that. And then the last piece I would offer just for consideration is when does the actual consolidation go live? When are you now one officially? So Chris mentioned that the the answer to that on the legal side is when LAFCO issues the certificate of completion. You have completed the entire LAFCO process, satisfied all the statutory requirements for LAFCO, mm -hmm. but that can be different than when you actually decide, okay, tomorrow morning at 0800 shift change, we are now one. And so one of the things we looked at very carefully, and, and I would really strongly suggest that any agency that's going through this look at, is try to coincide that with your fiscal budget year, whether you're on a calendar fiscal year or, or a standard July 1st fiscal year, because trying to blend budgets together in the middle of a fiscal year is exceptionally cumbersome. And it can cause, as it did in our original case, some great confusion at the county auditor controller's office about how taxes are assessed and how taxes flow. So I think that's my last input, Chris and Ray, is just give some thought to when you want to have this go live date. Yeah, I think, you know, Mark, exactly right. And as you were saying that, one of the things that occurred to me too, especially for folks who've not been through the process, is consideration of the type of governing structures, because each of those can have a different impact. Um, as we know, um, we have dependent districts, we have independent districts, we've got county government, and we've got municipal government. In the case of uh, our annexations, the city of Mill Valley and the city of Sausalito did not go away, right? They still had a statutory responsibility for the provision of all of the other services that the city provides. And so knowing the governing structure, um, so in the case of, you know, two independent fire districts coming together, that's a little bit different animal than a fire district annexing a city that's still going to be there. Um, which is probably different than a county consolidating with an independent fire district or a dependent fire district. But each of those have a, a unique nuance that I think it's important for agencies to understand before they sort of formally launch in the process. In other words, know your landscape uh, before you build your plan. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think what's very unique about this is is the governance piece. And, and I can say, you know, having done this you now seven times, um, that the themes are usually the same. The two biggest concerns that the agency being annexed has is identity. You know, we're very connected in our community. Uh, Mrs. Smith is used to being able to call the local fire station and talk to Bob because she knows Bob's on duty. You know, what is your plan to keep that community connection? And the second most common request we receive is, well, as you annex us, we'd like you to add two additional seats on your board so that two of our existing directors can have those seats. And the first one being the identity was rather easy to be for us to address. Um, we simply, in our case, put the name of the community served on the side of the fire engine or the ambulance or the battalion vehicle that covers that community. And that really helped kind of maintain that community image or optics. The second one is much more difficult, right? So our predecessor agencies were five member elected boards of directors. We expanded by two seats to go to seven because we felt we were bringing on so much more territory. That was a more efficient governance structure. 
But as other agencies have come on board, we have drawn the line in the stadium and said, no, we're not going to expand our board to nine or to 11 or to, or to 13. Um, because really the board doesn't entertain agenda items about a specific community. It's about the service levels being provided throughout the entirety of the fire district or the city in, in other cases. So I do think you have to get together with all of your elected officials that are stakeholders in this early on and talk about governance and and whether you're going to expand your board or your council to accommodate this, or will you use community liaisons, for example, in a different format? Yeah, Mark, and I would I would add to that um, as we dealt with that, as you and I you and I talked many many times, as we know, managing the emotions is is, is much a challenge and maybe the harder part of this process. <clears throat> but um, it's important for our listeners to know too what LAFCO's authority is and what it is not in regards to. Um, the governance. So LAFCO has the authority to expand the size of your governing body. They do not have the authority to reduce it. That requires a public vote. And this was something that we went through with the city of Mill Valley when there was that concern expressed about, well, how do we know we have representation? And initially the thought was, well, we'll temporarily expand and then we'll contract because that was uh, part of what was considered with Sausalito. We went from a five to seven and we've stayed a seven since then. We've never contracted. And so we had to come up with an alternative solution, which was a subcommittee of two board members and two council members until the next general election, which would then open it up to Mill Valley residents. As an independent district, all of our uh, electeds are at large. But that does open up another issue for people to begin to consider. It affects cities more than districts right now. And that's the California Voters' Right Act. And as you probably are aware, there have been some folks who've gone around who have sued cities with regards to ensuring representation of all the constituencies in their community. So far, districts have not really experienced much of that. Uh, but there is a sense that that uh, tide could be shifting. And so, again, I would encourage those who are, are considering consolidation to explore the CVRA and the potential impacts to their agency. If you're an independent district and your director is at large, um, that could be part of the conversation you're going to have to engage in with your community and stakeholders is this governance piece how many and then do we have sub constituencies in our jurisdiction that are going to require some form of representation? Yeah, I think that's an important point. And I think that's a good way to have handled the consolidation between a city governance structure and a special district governance structure. And I think, you know, the last point is we transition sort of from how consolidation occurs to what the good outcomes of consolidation can be is don't try to do this on your own. You know, I, I was by no means a consolidation expert coming into this, but but I learned to be one. But but that was from reaching out to agencies across the state of California that had done it and had done it successfully. And more importantly, perhaps those that had done it and didn't go so well. So we can learn from where those mistakes or those missteps were. Yeah, just listening to both of you from someone that's never done this before. Um, it sounds incredibly complex. Yeah, it can be very challenging, I would imagine. And just listening to both of you, I think I've developed some heart palpitations uh, <laughs> just because I don't I don't know if I would want to take this on. And, and uh, but it's it's uh, it's it's a daunting task. And I know I've talked to a lot of friends in the fire service that have, have gone through this. And to, to Mark's point, you know, 
this would be something that I would imagine you'd want to bring in some expertise. Is there good consulting people out there? I mean, obviously we do a very good job of, 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 of knowing each other and, and reaching out, but is there a good consolidation consultants out there that, um, that, that can help you through something like this? Yeah, I, I think there are. And, and I will start with just a little plug, uh, self-serving perhaps for Cal Chiefs, because you know, I was very thankful that I was a member of both Cal Chiefs and, and certainly serving on the leadership of Cal Chiefs, but also a member of the Fire Districts Association for California, because that opened up doors for me. I was able to put emails out to members of particular of Cal Chiefs and say, what's your advice? What things do I need to think about? What should be on my SWOT analysis that perhaps we missed? And that was exceptionally helpful. Again, whether they had gone through consolidation or not, I was able to access the brains of a lot of really respected leaders in the fire service community, and, and that was very helpful. And, of course, there are commercial vendors out there from CityGate to AP Trident to others that can be exceptionally helpful to you in trying to manage this. This, As Ray said, this is a highly complex project to manage, and project's probably not the right term. It's probably program because it is kind of forever. Yeah. Um, and and one of the misconceptions that's important to dispel right away is there's no going back. So particularly in my case, where the agency being annexed was dissolved by LAFCO, there's no agency to go back to. So, you know, in early days, the community members, I would hear comments like, well, if this doesn't work, we can always go back. No, that's actually not true. And so this is a monumental step forward for any entity um, to look at going through. So I was always very cognizant of that. And, you know, one thing we do well in the fire service is managing large scale incidents. And I treated this as a large scale incident. And I, and I know Chris did as well. And I think that that's where the success of the project management comes from. But many have paved this way before us. Um, we've helped pave a little bit more of the way, I hope. And you know, I would hope that people that are even entertaining the concept will start reaching out through Cal Chiefs and through their other contacts, um, because we would love nothing more. I know, I'm sure I'm speaking for Chris and myself to say we would love nothing more than to be able to help consult with anybody that's looking at going through the process. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, Mark did a great job of covering, you know, the, the kind of the expertise that's out there. Um, one other uh I guess element that we added to that really came from Mark and that was legal counsel. And uh, we have found the equivalent of Andrew Scouten in the LAFCO world. And um, Bill was a phenomenal resource for us. Um, and, and so I think, you know, again, if, if I were to do this again, um, and uh, I would engage an attorney early on in the process as well. Uh, do it strategically. They're expensive. Uh, but if you want to have a real clear picture about the LAFCO process and time milestones, you know, requirements like that, having that in your pocket to help you stay on track can be very valuable. Because if you're trying to retrieve some of that from LAFCO, my, my experience was is at times it was a little confusing. I didn't walk away with the clarity that I, I needed. I think it's critically important to help you navigate both the LAFCO process and the tax, taxation questions that come yeah. up. Um, so having an attorney, um, like you mentioned, Bill Adams, who, who's so familiar with this process and so familiar with the LAFCO and taxation issues, um, I think is an exceptionally good partner to have in the process. Agreed. Yeah, those are all great things to certainly have some some people that have already gone through this process to be able to reach out. Um, you know, one one of the things that I, I think Mark said it earlier we, when he touched on the labor part of it. 
just just thinking about this from a, a person again that's never done this before that I think would just be gosh such a challenge would be getting these two labor groups together that have probably significantly different MOUs and then how do you blend those two MOUs potentially together and I know it's really different because it goes back to that governance model what type of governance model is it going to be um but can you I, I'd like to and Maybe that's a horrible question because we could probably talk about that for about an hour and a half to two hours pretty easily. <laughs> but I know I know we're we're uh, we're coming up on some time. But is that something that's that was really a huge challenge for both of you, or is that something that you know seems like it's a huge deal? Because it would seem like a huge deal to me. But um, I, I think it's a great question, Ray. I, I, that, that's an excellent question, and. You know, my experience with it was, quite frankly, much more positive than I anticipated it was going to be. Um, so when I when I came into this process on the labor side, I expected that trying to merge MOUs and things like that was going to be exceptionally difficult. Um, truth of the matter is, I think you have to approach this with eyes wide open. Whoever has the stronger MOU on behalf of that union is going to be your guiding document. So as you factor in costs of consolidation and costs, you know, blending between two entities, you got to kind of figure that, hey, we're going to have to raise this entity up to match the MOU of this entity in many different arenas. Where it did get a little sticky and kind of in the weeds on MOUs was when one labor group had, for example, retiree medical and one labor group did not. And so, you know, there's a discernible and very expensive cost to an annexing body to try to figure out whether you're going to deal with that through attrition or if you're going to just offer the same compensatory tools and benefits to everybody. So you know, that is one piece of it. But what I really found out in the process was the labor groups were already talking about consolidation uh, very much behind the scenes before we even formally approached them. So I think labor uh, locals on two different sides solved a lot of this stuff themselves. They got together before we made it a formal labor management relationship discussion and kind of solved a lot of that stuff. Yeah, Mark, Mark's exactly right. Certainly in, in our experiences in Marin County, and I'd, I'd certainly make a plug for our local here in Marin County, 1775, and they have been very strong advocates of consolidation for a long, long time. And I think when you think about consolidations, um, I think trying to have a long-term view can be very beneficial. So where organizations can begin to align their MOUs, and in the case of Marin County, we have one union that covers all of the agencies. So they uh, they themselves consolidated many, many years ago. So each agency is a separate association with a shop steward and association president and, and a unique MOU. But 1775 has done some good work over the years in trying as best they can to align those MOUs. Now, we're nowhere near having them uh, in alignment. And in the case of our um, consolidation with Mill Valley, uh, one of the factors that helped us in, in bridging the gap, as Mark said, because our my department has a, a better, uh, if you will, salary and benefits package than the city does, the city of the city's uh, MOU, they were at the bottom of their comparables and the city manager had done a market analysis and had already began to inform the council of the need to begin to bridge that. So at the end um, of our analysis process, that gap was a lot smaller in part because the city manager, and the city council had already done some of that work. 
And again, I'd argue that 1775 had already also begun to do uh, some of that work. Where we found some challenge really is in the pensions uh, system. So the city of Mill Valley is CalPERS. We're a 37 act. So we have a county um, retirement plan. So working through that, uh, not only um, what the what the transfers look like, but obviously the actuarials and then the impact. So in this case, you know, Mill Valley won't be contributing any longer and they'll see, you know, as they map out their actuarials that have a very different impact. Ultimately, our agency, Southern Marin, will benefit from what Mill Valley had hoped to benefit from. So this becomes part of the negotiations. Same thing on the OPEB. Both agencies had OPEB plans, uh, but they were different. Um, and um, how we handled that, and again, that's very different, as Mark said, this has to be part of that whole analysis and uh, negotiating period is that the OPEB benefits were left with the original employer. Um, and so uh, obviously any employees we hire, you know, from this point forward, we're all going to be PEPRA and, and that liability is sort of capped for the city of Mill Valley. And they now know, you know, we have that sort of locked down. It's definitive. We know what it's going to look like and we're holding on to that uh, moving forward. And I think this is where the SWOT analysis tool becomes very effective in trying to determine some of these uh, potential areas of controversy. The other thing you want to be sure of is that neither agency is coming to the consolidation table with any baggage, right? So are there outstanding legal claims against one entity or another? Are you embroiled in serious personnel issues? Um, those are all the courageous conversations that have to take place amongst elected officials on both sides, as well as the, the CEOs or the chiefs of both sides. And it, all this discussion uh, kind of points to the fact that consolidation isn't free. Um, you know, LAFCO charges fees to process this. You know, in our case, we were spending about twenty to $40,000 per consolidation just in LAFCO fees. And I think all this discussion points to the fact that the consolidation process itself is not free. You know, LAFCO charges fees to process your application and the public protest period and the certificate of completion phase. And in our case, those fees in each consolidation range from twenty dollars to $45,000 per consolidation. So that's just LAFCO fees. There will be fees for the simplest of sounding things, the re-logo apparatus and, and come up with uniforms and aligning shifts, perhaps, if you're on different shift schedules, or as, as President Tubbs just alluded to, aligning IAFF units. Um, and then if you are a CalPERS entity, whether you're CalPERS and a 37 Act coming together, or in my case, CalPERS and CalPERS coming together, you still have to initiate a new contract with CalPERS for the new entity. Um, so there's some negotiation that has to take place there, and that can be a cumbersome project in itself. But I know we want to transition to outcomes at some point, and, and maybe Chris, this is a good time to kind of transition to the positive pieces because I think we're we're sort of hitting the threats on the threat list, but there's a lot of opportunities. Yeah, and ultimately, Mark, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's a great uh, a great time to sort of pivot to that. Uh, I, and I think you know, obviously, as we've described today, very complicated process can be uh, expensive of sorts, um, and and that's not just monetarily. Um, as I transition to the outcome piece, I would just mention that for the fire chief, um, this can be a very exhausting uh, process there. The, your emotions will be like the tide. They'll ebb and flow frustration and anger and joy and excitement and all of those things because it's a long, complicated process that really requires a commitment 
And this is, this goes directly to the outcome, right? Why are we doing this? Why is it worth this investment? And, and I think that's where our leadership comes in. And Mark alluded to that a little bit earlier about when he was referencing, would you change your position if the community said, we don't want to do this? And in, in the case of one of his consolidations, it was yes, because if we don't, there will be no provision of services in this particular district area. So that required really strong leadership on the part of Chief Hine um, to sort of, you know, knowing what he was going to go into with consolidation saying, okay, it's going to cost in a lot of different ways, but it's worth it. So, you know, again, as we talked about, what are the, what are the reasons for doing this? They could be things along the financial corridor or the redundancy corridor. And I think that's again, part of, you know, what is uh, ultimately the reason that you're doing this, but it's also provides opportunities, right? So um, opportunities to create new culture, um, opportunities to help align the organization perhaps into some different areas that they weren't before because you're bringing different cultures together. And the way we like to say it down here is it's kind of like a marriage, right? Both of you are imperfect. You have different strengths and values, but they complement each other. And so we want to capitalize on that. And that's one of the outcomes that I think is hugely valuable uh, for us, certainly for us in our experiences. And I would argue probably with anyone in consolidation. Uh, so there's these enhancements of services. There's enhancements of your culture, uh, especially if it's managed well, like I believe Chief Hine has done in, in his case in engaging his team to set their guiding principles and their values um, so those are some of the outcomes that I think are um, valuable and important, and they go back to the very beginning of this conversation. Yeah, and the only one I would add to that list, Chris, I think you're spot on. The one, the one last piece I would add is this is an expectation of taxpayers. They're tired of multiple governments and having multiple local governments in particular. And, and I think overall, while some may have some issues with it on the front end, I can tell you after I've been done this several times, none of those concerns came to fruition after the consolidation. The concerns about optics and image and community connection, uh, board leadership and governance just simply never came to fruition because everybody uh, did witness all those things you just mentioned as positive outcomes for consolidation. So I, I think as a fire service pursuing consolidation, it's the right thing to do for the taxpayers. And it's an expectation that taxpayers have. Um, and what we learned, of course, is that they're frustrated that other entities such as school boards and water districts and sanitary districts and cemetery districts don't follow suit. Yeah, it's interesting um, just hearing both of you and, uh, you know, talk about consolidation. And it's 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 a it seems, though, it's a it's almost a regional thing at points uh, up and down the state. When you look at the, the geography of, of California, it is so vast and so different. And I know in Southern California, where I'm from, you don't really see it a lot. You know, there's there's a, a lot of pretty well-established cities down south. And from what we see down here, I can speak for, for my own city. You know, I, I couldn't see our city council ever think about consolidation and those types of things. And quite frankly, neither would our neighbors consider that as well. So it's interesting because I know it happens quite often up north. Um, but down south, you know, you really have your L.A. counties that would, you know, come in and and, and take over a city or, or an Orange County Fire Authority 
or uh, you know a bigger agency like that to come in and do that. But that's kind of what you see down here. Um, you haven't seen a lot of the types of consolidations that that you two are talking about. So it's just really interesting to to see how different um, you know even within our state um, some things are. So, but I know I know both of you uh, very well and. One thing that that amazes me is that just talking to both of you, you know, being fire chiefs, I know how busy that is, <laughs> and I know how busy uh, we can get in Cal Chiefs, and then on top of that, throw on some uh, consolidation. I don't really know how both of you uh, have done it because it seems just, you know, to me, it seems like a daunting type of task to be able to do that, and I commend both of you for uh, not only doing what you do, and I know you're great leaders in your own organizations um, and all the things that you do for Cal Chiefs, but on top of those things, being able to take on these big programs um, and consolidation, I, you know, my hat's off to both of you for, for uh, your, your leadership in that and, and having your ability and willingness to jump on this podcast today, share some of those experiences. And uh, this is what the fire service is about. It's about uh, learning those types of things and being willing to pass those on. So, boy, I just really want to thank both of you for doing that today. And, uh, you know, hopefully um, everyone got a little bit out of this podcast. And I'm sure in every single one of these topics, we could have uh, dove into uh, quite a bit more. So, and maybe we will in the future if, if, uh, if, if there's some opportunities to do that, but just wanted to thank you uh, for both jumping on today and, Chris, for getting on the other side of the microphone and let me make let me take the con for a little bit. I'll gladly pass it back to you. And uh, and Mark, thanks for for joining us as well. And and both of you have just a tremendous amount of experience. Is there anything that um, either of you wanted to touch on before we um, jump off this podcast? I think just a reminder that both Chris and I and others have been through this process. If you're just starting it please reach out. We're always happy to support our fire service partners and make sure that your consolidation is as successful as we've experienced. Yeah, I echo uh, Mark's comments. And I would just then also add, Ray, I think you did an excellent job today um, facilitating the conversation. Happy to let you stay at the helm for a little while if you'd like. You <laughs> seem quite natural at this. So um, great job, man. Uh, thank you both for uh, allowing me to do that. And, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be happy to join anytime. You guys want me to. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thanks. Postscript. Hey, everyone. This is Chris Tubbs. After producing our podcast on consolidation the other day and then going back through and doing the editing, uh, I noticed that I left out some information about the Southern Marin Fire Protection District which was relative to our discussion on consolidation. And in my podcast interview with Chief Geik, I mentioned that the district had initiated its journey of consolidation in 2010 with the city of Sausalito. And that was correct as far as the annexation, but uh, not fully correct with regards to consolidation. The Southern Marin Fire Protection District is an independent special district that was established by the Marin County Board of Supervisors in July of 1999. The district was formed by the merger of the Alto Richardson Bay Fire Protection District and the Tamalpais Fire Protection District. So the existence of the Southern Marin Fire Protection District really came out of the consolidation of those two agencies. Again, I apologize for not including that in the first part of the interview, but I want to make sure that for the record, uh, uh, the information was complete. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>